There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Well, all I know is I could not watch more than, I want to, I want to be accurate. I think I watched four minutes of the debate last night. Not in a row, <laughs> but over the course of the debate, I think I watched a total of four minutes. But there's one thing that I have always said, and people get mad at me about this, but there is nothing worse than listening to people overtalk each other. One of the reasons that I never do more than one guest at a time is because you cannot control multiple guests. And they will talk over each other. I can't even control one guest. How about that? People talk over each other because they're trying to finish a point or they're trying to dominate the conversation. So if you put seven people who probably have 30 to 60 seconds to make a point, a critical point, they're going to talk over each other. And that's all you saw last night on that raggedy. That debate was so bad that even the news... Websites, the aggregate news websites are barely touching it. You know, they're, they're trying to pump up a, a Ambassador Haley. I don't know. They call it Governor Haley, Ambassador Haley. I don't know. They're saying, oh, she had the best performance and, and, and she took on Vivek Ramaswamy. <clears throat> Let me reiterate my question from yesterday. Is there anybody in my listening audience who would consider voting for either Vivek Ramaswamy or Nikki Haley for the president of the United States? And the resounding answer came back on my emails last night, on an email thread, on a text thread, on uh, every available social media platform. No. Now, we all know, we heard Bill O'Reilly on my show yesterday say that unless Ron DeSantis had a kick-butt performance and demolished everybody else on the stage... He just has to nurse his wounds and figure out what he's going to do for the rest of his life. And unfortunately, I believe that's what he has to do now. And it's so sad because he is such potential. He is such a, a, a moral, hot, high ground kind of guy. I believe in him. It just was premature for him to run in this race and against Donald Trump. It's just they have the same following. And if I can vote for Donald Trump or somebody who thinks like Donald Trump, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. And I think that's just true for most people. So now it's like they don't know what to do because the debate was such a disaster. So what are the headlines today? The headlines are Greg Youngkin, uh, what is it, Glenn Youngkin, Bill Barr tells him to put his oar in the water. What does that even mean? Put your oar in the water? I'm just speaking English and say you need to enter this race because we haven't got a single person who can challenge 
Donald Trump for the nomination, never mind who can challenge Joe Biden for the presidency. And we're kind of hoping you could. (laughs) The Red Vest Retreat. Billionaire backer Peter Paterfi says the money will be there. Bill Barr telling him to put his oar in. Alarmed Republicans. This from the Washington Post. Like the Washington Post has any Republicans that talk to them on a regular basis, right? The only Republicans that talk to the Washington Post are the pathetic Republicans who are only Republicans in name. So, oh, uh, Republicans are preparing to draft Glenn Youngkin. Come on, guys. This tells me that they know it's going to be Donald Trump. And they're desperate. They don't know what to do. They're just frantic. And why not get on board? You know, why not let the people decide? Because they really don't respect you. They don't respect me. So they're going to come up with a late entry. And they'll ruin this guy's political future, Glenn Youngkin. All right? Like they just ruined Ron DeSantis's political future. You couldn't ruin Chris Christie's. He had no political future. You can't really ruin Vivek Ramaswamy because he's a newcomer. He'll have uh, plenty of chances. He has now got a name for himself. Nikki Haley, I don't know. People keep saying, uh, BP, BP. No, I don't believe that. I think Donald Trump would be very reluctant to put her on the ticket because she pretty much was disloyal. That's He doesn't st- tolerate disloyal. Not at all. Although if you bow down and apologize profusely, he sometimes takes you back. <laughs> he's like, he's like um, well, I don't want to say that because it's very unattractive. But I, I don't see it. Carrie Lake just announced that she's going to run for the Senate in Arizona or run for the nomination in Arizona. That's going to be a hot race. But what that tells me is that she met with Donald Trump and he said, sorry, you're not the one. Otherwise, she would not, because I think she held back and held back and held back in the hopes that Trump would be totally out of the ballpark and bring her into the race. She would be a great campaigner, no doubt about it. But again, you know, Donald Trump plays a very close to the vest when it comes to selecting running mates. Nobody on earth expected Mike Pence to be his running mate. I didn't. I thought it was a great choice at the time. And I'm sure whoever he chooses this time will be a great choice. It's not going to be MTG and it's not going to be, um, you know, all of the ones whose names are being floated out there. It's just not. It's going to be somebody that you would have never expected and they will bring something to the ticket. You know, I heard some people this morning talking about it. Well, it can't be Ron DeSantis. Ron said he wouldn't run and you can't have two people from the same state. Now, mind you, while that is a, uh, is a truism, Donald Trump could say he lives in New York. Donald Trump could say he lives in New Jersey. Donald Trump can live wherever Donald Trump wants to live. And if they're going to take all his property away from him in New York, then Bedminster is probably a good place for him to set up his next homestead, all right? In which case he could, of course, invite Ron DeSantis onto the ticket. I don't think he will, but I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say that's an impossibility. I don't think it is. I think it's still in the running. And I think if Ron DeSantis were smart, 
he would leave the race now and set that in motion. Just saying. But nobody ever listens to me anyway. Certainly not uh, <laughs> Governor DeSantis doesn't listen to me. And uh, we'll see if Don, Donald Trump listens to me. I know he listens to me. I just don't know if he would take my concerns to heart and if he would take my advice. I just And you know what? I don't care. Unlike a million other radio hosts, I'm not trying to cozy up to anybody. I support who I support because I believe they'll do the best job. I don't need their friendship. I don't want their friendship because then it makes it impossible for me to, you know, ever challenge them when they make stupid decisions. And Donald Trump made a really stupid decision with the COVID vaccine. That's all. You know, I don't know that he made it. Um, how should I say this? Without tremendous pressure from a lot of forces. I saw some article today that Fauci is, a, you know, a spy. I don't know. I I really don't know. But I do know this. That debate last night proved once and for all that Donald Trump is going to get this nomination. I don't care how many people weighed in on the uh, poll on the Drudge Report or the poll on the ABC, CBS, um, and and apparently felt uh, that, that Nikki Haley presented herself about the best. She, I think, had the lead in the polls. She had like 37%. DeSantis behind her with 22%. How bad is that? Ramaswamy with like 18%. Christie had more than Tim Scott and Mike Pence. Maybe because he's so obnoxious and, and people who would normally go for the obnoxious candidate, if they don't like Donald Trump, well, then they thought maybe... Uh, Maybe I'll go with Chris Christie, but I thought Chris Christie really was embarrassing last night. That's all. You know, I'm tired of him. I'm tired of his act. It's enough already. You know, you're not really making, scoring any points. And I don't know what his political future is. I don't think he has one, really. Maybe he'll be an analyst on MSLSD. I don't know. I really don't care either. But he's not going to be the candidate. So that's uh, that was my take. Now, I did watch Tucker Carlson and Bill O'Reilly last night. That was highly entertaining. Not just entertaining, but informative. Because these two guys have been through the mill when it comes to the networks. Multiple networks, really, when you get down to it. They both worked for mainstream and cable networks. They both were dealt a really dirty deal by Fox. And they went there. You know, I'm always told when I talk to Bill O'Reilly, I'm told by Bill and I respect Bill. So I, you know, I try to honor his request not to talk about Fox because he doesn't have bitterness, you know, and he doesn't want to ruin the careers of all of his friends who are still at Fox. But they went there last night. They certainly did. And it was fascinating. The other thing that I watched was the speech that Donald Trump gave in Detroit, in Michigan. Now, what was fascinating to me was reading the reports today about the speech that I watched. And I don't know how they all got it so wrong because I did not see the deflated Don. Au contraire, I saw a Donald Trump who, he just talks to the people in the language that people understand. Yes, it's rambling because that's how we all talk. And that's why we relate so much to him. Uh, you know, the problem with Nikki Haley was that everything she says sounds like it was written out in longhand. And then she was told to make sure she gets every single word in because if she doesn't, nobody will understand what she's saying. 
Uh, that's not that, that's not compelling. It's not riveting. It's none of the above. Don, on the other hand, he gets uh, he gets right into it with with your mind. He can he can do that right away. Today they were like, oh, he paid people. Uh, there were sign holders that claim they got paid by the Trump people, um, and and there's always people like that. And let me just say this: this is going to be my final take on the debate. Nobody can make up names like Donald Trump, okay? So for Chris Christie to think that calling Donald Trump Donald Duck is going to resonate with anybody, you could forget about that, Christie. Uh, the speech at Drake Enterprises, which is a parts supplier in Clinton Township, Detroit, I think he scored a lot of points. I don't think he scored any points with the union leadership because he, you know, he pilloried them. But those auto workers know that this electric car crap that the Biden administration is shoving down the car makers' throats is a death, death knoll, knell, death bell, one of those things to the automotive industry. So I love it. I do. I thought Trump had a great night. I thought O'Reilly and Tucker had a great night. And I thought the seven candidates on that stage at the Reagan Library embarrassed Ronald Reagan. That's all I'm going to say. Don't forget to download the app, the 850 WFTL app, on your phone, on your computer. And if you don't do that, if you're one of these people who's intimidated by app loading, then just go to our website, 850WFTL.com, so you can participate in our contest and hear all the podcasts at your own convenience. I'm going to take a quick break. I'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. So, I don't know. You know, you, you look at uh, this current administration and you try to understand how it is that you have so much support for this guy coming out of the Democrat Party. I mean, I guess they're starting to fall away, but some of the things that happened, like he crashed into a flagpole and then he forgot to, to shake hands with one of our allies, um, Brazil's, what is his name, uh, Lula, President Lula. And, you know, I see these things, and you don't always see them when they first happen, but then they start appearing on the media in other countries. And I get a lot of my news from media sources outside of the United States, because I'm just so tired of conservatives, uh, you know, never cutting Trump a break, but cutting every other idiot out there a break, or the mainstream media, the lamestream media, whatever you want to call it, that will never tell you that, like, Joe Biden has fallen apart right before our very eyes. And it's not just our very eyes. You know, Xi Jinping is seeing it, and Putin is seeing it, and the mullahs are seeing it. And I know I say that all the time, but it's true. And at some point, Wouldn't the Democrats want to rectify that? I guess their problem is, with who? You know, the vice president, Kamala Harris, 
they can't bypass her. I mean, they just can't. And yet they know that she is not, she's not presidential material. She's just not. Remember, she ran in the primary and she was the first one out. Like the donors dried up and the and the gaffes added up. So would you replace one failing president with his failing vice president? No, not hardly. Because I don't know that they could control her as much as they control him. But I keep watching. And I'm, emba- I'm embarrassed. Not necessarily embarrassed of him. I am. But I'm more embarrassed at a party that would abuse him and a family that would allow him to be abused in this manner. It really looks like elder abuse to me every time I see this guy bumping into things, forgetting where he is, uh, saying people's names wrong, like LL Cool J. That's not rocket science. Like, don't even say it if you don't know how. I mean, I, I probably know more about LL Cool J than I do about Joe Biden. And Joe Biden's been in the public eye for 50, 50 years. And I'm only now learning what a corrupt dude he is but they they can't help themselves instead today it's all about oh donald trump's gonna lose his empire donald trump's family is gonna lose their empire donald trump is bad orange man bad it's the same old story and guess what the american people are like uh do you have anything else like what what are you offering are you offering us the guy who falls down or do you have something else in mind? Like, you know, Gavin Newsom, okay, you know, let's look at California. Right now, Southern California just recognized animal rights. Now, don't don't get me wrong. I think animals have a right to live. I think, you know, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to oversee animals. We're not supposed to abuse them, right? I don't believe in testing on animals anymore when you could do all that on computers. Although I will say this, if I have a child and they you want to put a baboon's heart into my child until a human heart becomes available, I'm okay with that. You know, my human child has more value than a baboon, but a baboon shouldn't be sacrificed uh, for no reason, right? You know, not to do experiments on. That's just my personal opinion. And I'm pretty much a vegan vegetarian and have been most of my life. I don't think we should be killing elephants for their tusks. I mean, I don't believe in suffering. But Southern California has now become the first place in the whole country that has given legal rights to animals. Now, forgive me, but legal rights are man-made for man. What kind of nonsense is this? I know that elephants, you know, shouldn't be made to suffer, but are we really going to give them, like, can an elephant sue a human being? I I just, I find Southern California the most ridiculous group of people. And yes, I have a son who lives there. I get it. I get it. Makes me look bad. But I love the kid, you know. Non-Human Rights Project is now looking to work with other cities in California. Of course, because you can't work with cities outside of New York and California and get people to buy into legal rights for aminals. Aminals. You know, like dogs and cats going to be suing their owners for serving the wrong food. (laughs) You know, I'm sorry, but that's how the left is just nutty. Just nutty. And they get nuttier every year because we allow it.
we tolerate it. And, you know, the, the poop is hitting the fan. Look at the violence in California. Look at the stores that are leaving California. I know they keep blowing it off and saying, well, you know, Target is closing stores everywhere and Walgreens is closing stores everywhere. Not like they are in California. Why? Because they can't afford to stay open. And their employees are terrified to walk around. And then there's the attack in this great nation on our children. My next guest in the next uh, segment of the show is um, my old friend Liz Wheeler, who has, you know, who has literally uh, a new book out. I've read excerpts. I have not read the whole book. I don't lie and tell you I read it unless I read it. I did read Killing Witches and I loved it. But Hide Your Children is the name of the book. And it is powerful. The parts that I've read is powerful. So Liz Willow will be coming on with me in the next segment. Um, stay right where you are. I've got that segment and then a final segment. And I just got a lot more to say. You know, everybody says, you need more than one hour. I probably do, but I'm too old. So just bear with me. I'll be right back. All right, and uh, welcome back. You know, everybody has uh, commented this week that I've had a couple of interviews, and I don't like to do interviews. I'm very, very selective about what interviews I do. But I love Liz Wheeler, and she's my next guest, and she is a political commentator. She does her own podcast, The Liz Wheeler Show. I used to live for um, a segment that she did every day on OAN, uh, tipping point. And so I've been a big fan for a long time. Liz, how are you doing? Hi, Joyce. Thank you so much for having me. It sounds like I should be very flattered to be here today, which I am. <laughs> oh, well, I, I just, I enjoy your commentary always. And um, I have been saying probably for the last 25 years on the air that the attack against our children in this country is so disturbing and, and really it's at a crescendo right now with all this transgender nonsense that's going on. But I've read some excerpts from your book. I have not, I don't have the book yet, but I, I can't wait because you're going to address this. Uh, uh, this is a deliberate attempt by the left to destroy this country through our children, isn't it? It is. And, you know, it's one of those things, Joyce, that parents feel this, like, visceral gut reaction when they see, especially as their eyes have been opened to this over the past couple of years, maybe during COVID when they looked over their, their kids' shoulders on Zoom school and saw their kids being taught critical race theory and the trans ideology and the 1619 Project. And as parents, I mean, you don't even have to be conservative or Christian or politically active to just feel this visceral reaction to this. And that's actually how the origin of my book was. I wondered, why is this escalating right now? What is behind this? Who is behind this? What is their goal? Mm -hmm. And again, I know that it's not new, but why, why is it coming to this, this culmination or manifesting right now? And what I found is it's not new, of course. It is mm -hmm. escalating, but it's, it's the result of a decades-long effort by Democrats, by the radical left, to take over institutions that we trust our children to, mm -hmm. like this school system, for example, or the media. And unfortunately, the, the, the left has been incredibly successful at subverting these institutions, not only the media and the education system, but sadly, a lot of religious institutions and the law. And they're now coming after the nuclear family, especially um, coming after our children. And what's frustrating is because this isn't new, I sat, I, I, when I was researching this book, I'm wondering, why haven't Republicans effectively stopped this? What have we been doing for the last 50 years that we've allowed the left to so thoroughly infiltrate our institutions? 
So what I do in my book is the first half of the book, I name the names and the, the, the people and the organization behind the capture of these institutions and behind the attack on our kids. And then the second half of my book is a critique of the Republican Party. I offer a solution yeah. that I'll admit to you, Joyce, is different than what the Republican Party offers for how we can actually start winning take back these institutions and protect our kids. I have to tell you, you know, my background is in education. You know, all my degrees are in education. And I was an administrator. I owned my own schools. And, and I, I had to walk away from a career that I really loved because I could no longer handle the kind of a curriculum that was being used in, in multiple states. I mean, I came out of New York. Um, I watched it go from the best public school systems in the country to the worst. I came down to Florida. It was inadequate. It was turning. There was all, you know, I live in Broward County, which is a notorious blue county in a state that's now quite red. And what was going on in the schools where my children were going was anathema to education. All these uh, crazy ideas about, you know, social justice and, and the rest of it infiltrating in, in schools. But I saw that happening in the university level where people were going to be trained as teachers. And if you didn't conform to the prevailing liberal policies, you didn't stand the chance of getting a job. Well, that's one of the things you identified is exactly right. People will ask me, well, how did this happen? Like, where, where did it start? And it started exactly what you just described. It started with radical Marxists who started populating the teachers' colleges in our country, especially Columbia Teachers' College yeah. or Columbia Teachers' College. And they would teach the teachers that they would then send all over the United States, you know, first to universities and then to high schools and then to grade schools that were taught to not teach children facts and knowledge, but to teach children how to view the world, but how to view the world through this Marxist lens. And Joyce, let me, let me tell you one of the most interesting things that I came across in the course of my research for this book. So as you know, public schooling in the United States hasn't been mandatory for that long. The, the first state to make it compulsory was Massachusetts in 1852, mm -hmm. which sounds like a long time ago, but it's not really that long ago. Mm -hmm. And the reason they made it mandatory was because at the time there was an influx of immigrants coming to our country, particularly Catholic immigrants. And the Protestant politicians wanted to indoctrinate these immigrant children in American values so that they'd be loyal to America first rather than the country of their birth, and in Protestant values because of the centuries-old battle between Protestants and Catholics. And I realized as I'm researching this, our education system actually was designed to be an indoctrination center. Mm -hmm. We think of this, this term negatively because of what the Democrats are teaching our children, but it's actually a morally neutral term, right? Indoctrination right. isn't good or bad. It depends on what's being indoctrinated. And so in my book, I challenge conservatives to... Uh, think differently about the education system. We have to reclaim this. We have to be comfortable saying, you know what, we're not going to let Democrat values prevail. We're not going to pretend that education is neutral, just reading, writing, and arithmetic. There's no way that you can take values out of education. So we need to be the ones that are dictating those values. We need to be the ones that say we're going to teach children American values and Judeo-Christian principles. And it's really the only way to take back the education system. Yeah. And, and it is uh, almost... Uh 
an impossible task because of the teachers' unions. I mean, that was where things went sideways for me, was having you know these unions control everything that that schools were able to do or able to participate in, and you know the, the demands that were being made were ridiculous. Not nothing to do with what was best for the children, but what was best for the employees, and like not for nothing, teaching is a profession you go into because you have a love uh, for for the idea that you could help indoctrinate young children into good ideas. Look, my daughter graduated from Columbia, you know, I admit it, and she went she joined uh, Teach for America, which was part of, you know, kind of like the Peace Corps here in this country. And they sent her to rural Mississippi to basically indoctrinate those kids into some pretty creepy critical race theory, and this was 25 years ago. So I know it's going on yeah. now. Yeah. It is. It is. And, and here's the thing. So you're correct about teachers unions. They have such a grip on everything. I mean, Randy Weingarten is Ugh. one of the most powerful political kingmakers in the Democratic Party. What she says goes. Mm -hmm. She's one of the reasons that the president of the American Library Association is is a Marxist because mm -hmm. she threw her political weight behind that woman. Um, but we, we just have to understand as Republicans, we have to first acknowledge that there's no such thing as neutrality. Either Democrat ideologies are going to prevail in these institutions or our values are. And we also have to understand as conservatives that limited government doesn't necessarily just mean a government as small as possible. There's nothing inherently immoral about using government when it's, when it's the just use of government. Um, limited government actually just means constrained by enumerated powers or constrained by accountability to the people. So we have to understand that sometimes it's not an individual fight that we fight. Mm. It is important for parents to fight back, of course, but sometimes we have to use legislative power to ban critical race theory and ban queer theory and ban DEI and ban ESG so that teachers unions aren't the ones that are making these decisions, that the voters are making these decisions. And there's nothing that teachers unions or, or teachers or curriculum boards or any of the bureaucrats that we don't have any power over are, are making instead of parents that... It, 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 I know it's a retooling or a, um, a reorienting of, a, of the conservative mindset, but about 50 years ago, the Republican Party turned more towards a libertarian mindset, mm -hmm. which I mean, I felt that way, too, at one point. Most young conservatives do. So I say this without animosity, but that's not how our government was meant to operate. Our government was meant to operate to help form a moral order in our country, and that means acknowledging objective truth, which also means acknowledging that something's objectively wrong or objectively right. Mm -hmm. And we need to be comfortable bringing those definitions to the public square and not cower when Democrats falsely accuse us of violating the separation of church and state, which it's not. All that means is that you're not supposed to prohibit people from practicing their religion or force them to. But it doesn't mean that we can't acknowledge natural law mm -hmm. um, in our society, and in our laws. And if we don't do that, I fear we won't be able to effectively fight back against these Marxists. Well, I agree. And, and so you say in the second half of the book, you actually lay out a, a way to do this, because I have to admit, I was totally incapable, even as an administrator, to, you know, challenge these ideas without literally, you know, being excoriated and called every name. Now, at least if I'm a talk radio host and they call me names, I expect it, but I never expected it when I was, you know, designing curriculum that was meant to help children achieve to their highest potential and always included civics. You know, now there's no civics being taught in elementary or middle school. And I think in high school, it's like an afterthought. Well, certainly. I mean, because if you teach American civics to children, then they're not going to be susceptible to the rest of the 
thrust of the anti-American, anti-Christian Marxist indoctrination that's coming their way. But what you what you're what you're verbalizing, I think, is something that a lot of parents feel and a lot of concerned citizens. You don't have to be a parent to recognize that there's an assault that's happening to our kids mm-hmm. and that it's dangerous because this is how the Marxists co-opt the next generation. Mm-hmm. You don't just walk into a group of adults and say, hey, I'm a Marxist. Let me sell you my ideas. Mm-hmm. No, you have to form children's minds to follow that. That's why they're that's why they're targeting our kids here. But a lot of people feel powerless as an individual. They're not sure if their votes counted because they're not sure about election integrity. They don't know if one person on the school board does anything. They don't know if going to the principal's office and complaining about curriculum is effective or if it just gets their kid targeted. And to a certain extent, they might be right. And I don't say that I don't say that because I'm cynical about our country. I'm not at all. I'm very hopeful that there's a path forward. But we've forgotten that individuals, yes, we're important, but sometimes we have to band together as a movement and pressure our elected representatives to use the just power of government to help order these things and protect our kids. Yeah. Make no mistake, there's no prohibition in the Constitution from banning the, the, the communist indoctrination of our kids mm-hmm. on taxpayer dime. Right, on taxpayer dime. That's the worst part. And, of course, so you're a, a big supporter of parents running for school board, showing up at school board meetings, and demanding that their politicians, that their state legislators, first and foremost, that's the first line of offense for schools. And, you know, here in Florida, we have it a little better than, than most. We have a Republican legislator and a Republican governor who is protecting our children. But, you know, even here, this influx of illegal immigrants has tipped the schools and and you got teachers who are, you know, they're inundated with ESOL and they can't ever get to to the important stuff. Yeah, parents should get involved wherever they can. I'm a huge proponent of that. We should challenge our local politicians. We should run for these positions. We should hold them accountable. We should make a public fuss about it, which parents have been doing such a good job. I mean, mm-hmm. this is another reason that this is another reason that these attacks on our children are escalating. It's because parents finally uh, have seen what's really happening. Our eyes have been opened, and so it's no longer this situation where Democrats have this cushion, where Republicans have their heads in the sand, and they have this cushion to plot and infiltrate and subvert and capture. No, we understand the political enemy that we're facing, and we want to reject it. So the Marxists understand that their time to impose their ideology on us is either now or never. So the more victories that we achieve, the more they are going to escalate. I also, in my book, so the last chapter of my book, I provide a 12-step program for what we can actually do. Because I didn't want to write this book and just depress everyone. Right. You know, we can all see what's going on. It is important to know the people and the organizations behind these efforts, that it's not just a random conglomeration of nonsense or this nebulous cloud of wokeness in schools, that there are specific people and organizations behind this. But at the same time, we really need to rethink. We really need to be able to critique the Republican Party's strategy for fighting back against this Mm -hmm. because it hasn't been effective. So we need to be able to identify what it is that they've done wrong and what we need to change. Um, So I talk about that a lot. And I also encourage parents, if you can possibly homeschool your children during this time that we are trying to recapture the public school system, do do it. it. Homeschooled children are so well-educated academically. They are socially well-formed. They are They are protected from communist ideology. I hate to say this because I know that it wasn't everyone's experience 10, 15, 30, 50 years ago in the public schools, but the public schools of today, even the elementary schools in your own neighborhood that you feel that you know are a pit of snakes. Children Mm -hmm. go into those schools and they are not well-educated. They come out academically deficient. They are socially malformed. They are subject to bullying and indoctrination and their friends looking at TikTok all the time and counselors that seek to manipulate their minds 
Joyce, I don't want to sound hyperbolic here, but I wouldn't wish my worst enemy's child a public school experience mm-hmm. in this day and age. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and now there's an article today I read that uh, dads homeschooling children is on the rise because uh, they, they see the handwriting on the wall. Um, and so we do. I endorse that as well. I wish that my grandchildren would have continued to be homeschooled, which is what they were doing during the COVID. But, uh, you know, I have my kids live in California. I don't have to tell you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a soft spot in my heart for California. I think it's sad that we've surrendered it to the left because it should be paradise if, mm-hmm. if the Democrats weren't ruining it the way that they were. And listen, a lot of people, a lot of people feel inadequate when they think about homeschooling. And I was homeschooled. I was homeschooled K to 12. And this was a long time ago. There were far fewer homeschoolers then than there are now. Mm-hmm. The curriculum now for homeschoolers, you it's don't excellent. have to be a college professor or right. even a teacher to administer it. It's just administering the curriculum. So right. if, if you possibly can do it, because it's such a wonderful experience for your whole family. Amen. The book is Hide Your Children. Um, and it's uh, exposing the Marxists behind the attack on Americans' kids. It's available everywhere, Liz Wheeler. Thanks so much for coming on, Liz. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Joyce. I appreciate it. All right. And we're going to take a quick time out right now. I will remind you that Eric Erickson coming up after me and then Joe Paggs, Lars Larson, and the whole crew tomorrow morning. To wrap up this week, I can't believe it's going to be Friday already tomorrow morning. Jen and Bill will be back with the South Florida Morning Show, followed by Brian Kilmeade, followed by Dan Bongino. And then, of course, I'll be back at 3 o'clock. So no reason to touch the dial. Stay right there. Well, next week I'll be talking with Dinesh D'Souza's got a new movie out, and uh, we'll be talking with him. I love Dinesh. Actually, his daughter is really the new star in the family. But I saw this article, and I, I want to finish the show with this. Um, this whole climate garbage that's going on, again, every time there's a Democrat in the White House, we get told that uh, we, can't, we can't continue down this path, or the earth is going to end, and blah, blah, blah. There's no climate emergency. I just need you to know that. And climate science shouldn't be political. Climate policies need to be scientific, Scientists should tell us, what is your modeling output, and is it real? We don't, we don't need magic programs. Um, we need theoreticians. We need programmers who put the hypotheses into computers. If we're going to use artificial intelligence, why aren't we using it on climate instead of this craziness that you see? Right now, there's this network, a global network, of over 1,700 scientists and professionals who said, if you continue down this path of making climate science political, then you lose. Scientists should openly be addressing all the exaggerations, all the uncertainties, when they predict whatever they're predicting, global warming, uh, an ice age, because there are natural factors that cause global warming. And they never talk about the geological archive that says the Earth's climate has been varying as long as this planet has existed. You have natural cold phases, you have natural warm phases. The Little Ice Age ended in 1850. So it's no surprise that we're now experiencing a period of warming. Warming is far slower than they predicted, by the way. You know, I I don't want to be told by Greta Van, whatever her name is, the, the little girl, who's apparently the climatologist of the era. No, climate policy should be based on reliable models, not on inadequate models, not on feelings. 
you know, CO2 is plant food. And that's the basis of all life on Earth. It's not a pollutant. And we keep being told that we run away from CO2. Enriching the atmosphere with CO2 is actually beneficial. But we don't have climate scientists. Instead, we have politicians telling us what to think and what to believe. There's now a World Climate Declaration that has a large variety of competent scientists, brought them all together from all over the world. We need to pay attention to that. It's not the number of experts, but the quality of arguments that counts. So I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here tomorrow. Well, not right here, but on the air tomorrow at 3 o'clock, if it be his will. And he delays his kind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So be yourself. God bless you. And God bless the United States of America. Trump won the debate, no doubt about it. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.